Are you looking to live the abundant life no matter what your income is? You're in the right place. This is the podcast that will teach and inspire you to live better. Whether you want to earn more, save more, or improve your relationship with money or people, it's time for the 90 Days to Abundance podcast, brought to you by SavingsAngel.com. Here's your host, the Chief Executive Angel of SavingsAngel.com, Josh Elledge. Well, thank you so much, Cece, and everybody else who's out there working for the weekend. This is show number 41, and I am so excited uh, to have you listen to this episode because I am going to be talking with one of my mentors, even though he may have not even known it. Dan Miller is someone that I've been following for years. I've read the books. I've been listening to his online on-demand radio program for years. And I have learned so much uh, from this gentleman, and I've referred so many people who are looking to improve their career, who are looking to get started in business. Uh, My philosophy is very, very much aligned with Dan Miller, and I think you're going to pick that up as you listen to this interview. And yeah, I'll admit this right now, sometimes it's going to come across like I'm gushing just a little bit. Hey, but that's all right, because in the words of Loverboy... If you want a piece of my heart, you better start from the start. You want to be in the show? Well, come on, baby. Let's go. All right. And Dan Miller, author and coach and uh, with 48days.com. You've been an inspiration to me, sir. I I have enjoyed your podcast for, gosh, it's been... I feel like it's been years, and and I assume I'm correct because I know you've been you're you're kind of one of the godfathers of the podcasting realm. Even though it's it's actually more than a podcast; it's a radio program. It's everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is, and I was one of the early ones. I guess started in December of '09, so we're approaching five years, and that was back when we were just starting to really hear about podcasting. But it was kind of a soft transition because I'd been on terrestrial radio for six years. Mm. And when I discovered the power and the reach of podcasting, I said, adios radio, here <laughs> I come. So it was, it's been a wonderful journey. The, you know, the medium of podcasting, what would you say that that gives you in terms of connection with your audience? But what, when you look at the difference between radio and podcasting, what, what are the, the main advantages that you see? Well, I was on a 100,000 watt station here in Nashville, Tennessee. So the most powerful talk radio station here reaches up into Kentucky and down into Alabama so a really broad reach. And they would tell me that watching the Arbitron ratings, they track, you know, 15-minute increments that I had between eh, seven and 800 people, which they considered really good. Wow. I mean, that, that's really good. I started putting segments of my radio show up on iTunes, just experimenting with how that would work. And we immediately started hearing from people in Norway and Sweden and Germany and New Zealand and Australia. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and the numbers went... You know, I mean, went went high. I've been fortunate in having an audience right out of the gate. You know that now is well over a hundred thousand people. I mean, the reach is so much more than you could expect to get on a regular radio station. Now, I'm not opposed to regular radio, and if you want to do your own syndication and you know walk through the process of one at a time getting stations, it, there's still something possible there. But it there's just no boundaries 
with on-demand radio, online radio or podcasting. There's no geographical boundaries at all. You produce good content. People can connect with you instantly from anywhere in the world. That's pretty astounding. And to me, that's a big distinction, not to speak of just the logistics where I can be sitting here in my office, you know, out in the middle of a cow pasture in Franklin, Tennessee, doing a podcast, rather than going downtown to some big fancy studio and having to coordinate with the producers there, the time, the breaks for commercials and all that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just a totally different world. And to me, there's no comparison. Yeah. You know, and I love your branding too, 48 Days. And uh, it's actually, you know, I don't know if it was subconsciously or otherwise, but I, I actually took that that concept of, you know, applying a, a, a value or applying a time frame. And, and uh, you know, my podcast, I created 90 Days to Abundance. And, and then I, gosh, I looked at what you were doing. I'm like, wow, maybe that's what I was inspired by. But why did you choose to put uh, a, a time frame in to your brand? Oh, yeah. Great question. And that's a real clear reason. I had been working as a career coach for several years. So working with people who said, gee, my job really does stink. You know, I want to do something else. So we'd map out a plan of action. And two years later, I talked to them and nothing had changed. Now that you got to be kidding me. And people, I found people were, you know, waiting. Oh, I'm going to wait until, I'm going to wait until I get this degree, until the kids graduate, you know, until I lose 30 pounds, whatever, you know, all these going to wait until everything is just lined up perfectly. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, there's got to be a, a timeline to get people moving. And so this was back when 48 Hours was becoming popular as a TV show. And I thought, I'll bet I could get some brand recognition <laughs> using the 48. And it's different than just the generic, you know, a week, a month or whatever. And so I tried that, and it was like somebody threw gasoline on everything I was doing. People immediately responded to that, saying, you mean I really can change my life in 48 days? And my response always was, yes, you can, if you create a plan and act on it. So the 48 has been like magic, but it's to have a timeline. And what that means is I think that's enough time to assess where I am, get the advice and opinion of other smart people, look at the alternatives, do a little bit more research, choose one, and act. And I think that has to do with any kind of decision we have to make, whether that is getting another job or starting a business or deciding where we're going to go to church as a family or what kind of car we're going to buy or where we're going to send the kids to college. I mean, I think it's enough time. And what I see is people go on and on and on with having something in their life where they're indecisive, where they can't make a decision, and it erodes their effectiveness in other areas dramatically. So I want, I want to break that cycle. So I, I work with people. We work in an intense burst of activity, 48 days. If on day 49, you're still doing what you were doing at the beginning, hey, that's fine. I'll still love you. You can be my friend. <laughs> but, but I'm moving on. I'm going to work people who take action in that period of time. I like that. You know, and I like that span of time to rather than making promises that, well, you're going to completely change your life in 72 hours or you're going to lose 30 pounds in, you know, in, in one week. I like that the, the concept of 48 days is almost a weeding out process, too, because you're not looking for someone who's looking for an overnight, you know, fix to all their challenges in life. There is going to be some time that's going to be needed to be invested in you to make serious changes. Absolutely. It requires work on the part of the individual, no question about it. And so there is a weeding out process for those that are looking for a magic solution by Friday. No, I don't know <laughs> for that. But it also weeds out, Josh, it's interesting, it weeds out people who have a history of being indecisive. 
I had a profile from a gentleman last year who in his profile talked about being indecisive, not willing to pull the trigger. He just got caught in status quo and sameness. And I, and I said, you know, I, I really don't choose to work with you. And he was pretty offended by that. <laughs> and I said, you've already described the reasons this is not a good fit. You're going to have, you have a history of not being able to make decisions, not only in 48 days, but in, you know, six months, 12 months, whatever. I, it just doesn't, it isn't a fit. You know, I want to work with people who are motivated, who are willing to change, ready to jump in the game and create a clear plan, but then walk that out in that period of time. Well, that's that's beautiful, and and I, I love that accountability uh, that that's established in there, and established in a relationship too. That you're going to honor your commitment, but if uh, if others aren't willing to honor theirs, then you know, recognizing that 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 relationship needs to become something else. That, that that's actually uh, most honoring of everybody. And Dan, what we do is uh, we help people save money and earn money and improve their relationship with money. And and I kind of put this all under the banner of the term abundance. And I'd love to get your perspective. What does the word abundance mean to you? Well, I love the term. I mean, there's so many people who live in a scarcity mentality where they think, you know, success is like a piece of pie. If I take well, you know, one one piece out of the pie, there's less for you. It's That's not the way it works. So I believe in abundance just as a conceptual idea. But to me, for me personally, it means having access to any idea or resource I need to help me progress toward my goals. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, you know, because it really is just infinite amount of good that we can create, an infinite amount of resources. And it's just, I guess, sometimes it's almost just recognizing that that is accessible uh, to us. And, you know, I believe in, in a God that's that's absolutely giving and, uh, you know, will answer our prayers and will allow us to grow uh, to any level that, that we choose. But if if someone, Dan, is feeling unfulfilled in their current work, and and let's say they're, they're really focused on their income, I know income really stresses a lot of us out because I think that you know we have this tendency to uh, use that as a measurement and and sometimes we we take that measurement of, of money that we have access to or that we're earning and we apply that label to ourselves but if there's someone who's uncomfortable with that and and they have it within them to to take action uh, what would you say are the best ways that they can create something better for themselves well, it can be a challenge to you know feel frustrated in that you're working hard but not making enough. But the irony of approaching the money part first is that it can stay just out of reach when we're just focused on the money. The real challenge and opportunity that I encourage people to do is to look inward first. What are your mm-hmm. unique skills and abilities? What is it that you bring to the table that nobody else does? then how can you find a way to engage that, provide that as value to an organization or pursue your own idea? But in doing that, in doing something that really engages your passion, your talent, the unique things that God has given to you, you put legs on that, money shows up in unexpected ways. I've had the opportunity of working with people who have pursued things that seemingly are not the way, are not realistic or practical. I mean, we hear about artists as an example. Well, starving artists, you just expect that if you're going to be an artist or a musician, you're always going to be poor. (laughs) 
Well, that's ridiculous. If that's what you're most gifted in, if you really are talented there, you have a passion for that, then put an idea together where you do that in a way that 95% of the other people in that profession or industry are not doing it. And guess what? You'll rise to the top. But it's in doing something with excellence that money shows up. And I'm not saying just be cavalier, don't have a plan about that, but here's an example. I mean, I, I love to write. Writing has served me extremely well, and it's really my sweet spot. It's what I enjoy most doing. Well, we know that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. Yeah. Wow. Why would I pursue that knowing this, the odds are so against me? I don't care. I mean, I hear that, and my thought immediately goes to, geez, how difficult could it be to put yourself in the 5%? All I have to do is look at what most authors do and do things they're not doing, they're not willing to do. And that's been my history. And that's why I very quickly you know, put myself in that 5% and a smaller percent than that in terms of the kind of income that writing has afforded me just simply because I'm going to do it differently than what the average person is doing. So if somebody's unfulfilled in their work, they're looking for more income, don't just chase the dollars. Look first at what it is that you do exceptionally well and then do that in a creative way and you'll be amazed at how the money starts to flow. You know, that's really interesting. And you were alluding to authors, for example, that there's things that they're not willing to do. And you might be willing to do those. Or you might look at those things and, and say, well, gosh, I can understand why they don't want to do those things because it's uncomfortable. Uh, yet, you know, how does someone do those uncomfortable things uh, when when it's, you know, it's not easy for anybody, but it looks like that might be the path into no man's land. And, and that no man's land might be where income or prosperity is found. Well, it really is. And I am one to encourage people and myself included to work in your area of strength. This is not making yourself somebody that you're not or changing your personality. And a lot of people who maybe as an artist or an author are more introverted. They don't like the marketing side of having to be in business, but you just do things that are interesting. And when I launched my last book, we did an Indiegogo project. So we put it out there, you know, it's called crowdfunding, but we put it out there in a way that gave people opportunity to get not only origi original signed copies of the book, but other things we put with it. So we had a medallion that we created, an Ubuntu medallion that my son who co-wrote the book with me created. We had that in there. We had specially designed toffee candy that went <laughs> with the package. Uh, people got a field study guide that was not available anywhere else. We even had packages in there where if they paid, geez, it was like $880, they would be able to get three copies of the book and spend a night in the sanctuary on our property. And Joanna and I would take them to dinner. Well, I mean, just it's different. I mean, how many times do you see a book release that has all those kind of things connected with it? Well, that was extremely successful. Then we had a book launch party at the Legends Club, the Gol the Vanderbilt Golf Club here where, you know, Ben Skill has tournaments and things like that. We booked the entire place, had, you know, catered food there, and it was all funded by what we had already raised. I did this to set a precedent for authors because I, I could start with zero dollars. This isn't something, well, Dan can write the checks for that. I started with zero dollars and had the whole thing fund itself all the way through. We did some spectacular things as part of that book release. And then people sit back and they go, well, my gosh, you know, you're so lucky or your publisher, <laughs> you know, must have really treated you well. My publisher had nothing to do with it. 
now I included them just because I wanted to be involved, but they paid for nothing. I made the whole thing self-funding just by doing things differently. And those are not things that you have to just, you know, come out of your shell or again, be somebody that you're not, but it may be part of a means to an end when you're doing something like a book launch. So you just have to look at what are those creative things that I could do that are normally not being done that are going to get extreme amount of attention, get something, a video that will go viral, a funny thing that you did or something entertaining, you know, do something that is different. And so many people are doing things the way they were doing them 20 years ago. I mean, authors, I know, you know, write manuscript, they send it in the publisher and then they go sit in a lawn chair next to the mailbox waiting on those big royalty checks. Then they're disappointed and frustrated and angry when that doesn't happen. Those days are over. You got to do things differently. So a lot of it is just looking at what's happening differently now. What can we do now that we didn't even have access to know how to do three or four years ago? And if we're keeping our eyes open, keeping our antenna up for those things, the opportunities just keep exploding around us. Interesting. You know, but I could hear some people probably saying, but I just, you know, I'm I'm a photographer and I'd love to take commercial photography. I think that there's a market in that, but I don't I'm I'm not creative enough to come up with some, you know, brilliant idea that's gonna set me apart from the crowd. How do they come up with those brilliant ideas? I think what you were outlaying with what you did with your book is absolutely brilliant. But I, I think that there are probably others that are kind of feeling stuck that they don't have those ideas to break themselves out from the rest of the pack well that's a kind of common excuse i think that well i'm just not creative well everybody is creative i mean you don't find a five-year-old child that's not creative just watch (laughs) them watch them play watch them run out in the rain i mean those kind of things are just natural part of them and we become more narrow and narrow as we get older, I think. We've been taught to color inside the lines, and we lose that creativity there. But I don't think it's as much as developing it as it is rediscovering it. Mm. But you have to look at things. You have to talk to people, read books, drive a different way to the office and what you normally do. Do things that challenge the sameness of your life to break out of that. I mean, I have an artist friend who last Christmas just decided on the spur of the moment that she was going to do the 12 days of Christmas. Well, just kind of tied in, you know, with the Christmas theme. And so she was going to do one eight by eight painting every day, the first 12 days of December. Well, she promoted that and people got caught up in how unique that was doing one painting a day. And they were $300. Well, what she found is people said, Hey, I want day number eight, Mm. you know, before (laughs) she'd even done it. She's like, what are you talking about? I haven't even done it. You don't know what it's going to be. (laughs) Well, I just, I want to make sure I get one of these. What was so popular that she continued it, she did the next 12 days. So she did the first 24 days leading right up to the day of Christmas. And she not only sold all of those instantly, but she had people requesting what they saw. Oh, I saw what you did on day 15. I want one of those. And so she had commissions for things that took her a couple months to complete after that. Now, you know, I mean, yes, she's an established artist, but and it's not like you know Van Gogh or something that people are going to just automatically take everything that she has. She did something that just drew attention to what she was doing, and people responded in a really positive way. Now, 
amazing. And if I'm doing the math in my head, she did all right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Dan, um, I I think another issue that that comes up for a lot of people, and if I'm being truly honest and truly introspective of, you know, why didn't I start doing something earlier? For example, podcasting. Why didn't I start this? It's not that I can't do it. I, I think it was... The, the number one thing that I think held me back from putting myself out there and and being vulnerable and exposing more of myself to a grander or a bigger audience was uh, that, that four-letter word, fear. And I think that fear robs so many of us from uh, just amazing good that, that we can do in the world. You know, fear of starting a business, fear of changing jobs. How can somebody overcome fear of taking action? Well, fear is just the sense of something we haven't done yet. I mean, we can really kind of boil it down to that. So it's something you haven't experienced. But if we just let that rule our activities, we're going to continue without expanding anything that we're already doing. So we, ju- we know we've just locked ourselves into repeating what we've already done. We've created our own version of Groundhog Day, in <laughs> essence. That's not the way I want to live. So I reframe it, though. You know, you don't have to call it fear. You can call it just the sense of the unknown or the feeling that there's risk involved. Well, risk is not a word that I like either because it implies just a roll of the dice. I mean, if you and I go to Las Vegas and we put the titles to our cars down on a roll of the dice, that's risk because we have no control over the outcome. That's not what entrepreneurs do or thinking people in any way. They create a plan. What is this going to look like if I walk through it? So create a plan of what this is going to look like if you walk through it on paper. But, you know, there's a lot of adages out there, Josh. I mean, things like, oh, the old W. Clement Stone saying, you know, do what you fear and fear disappears. And there's some truth in that. I love Julian Smith's little book called Flinch that he wrote a couple years ago. Well, in that he talked about that sense that we get right before something unknown is going to happen where we just, you cringe, you feel your muscles tighten yeah. up. And here's an example that he gives in that book where turn the shower on totally cold. All right, now jump in. Now, just even <laughs> thinking about that makes you flinch. But what happens if you would really do that? You get in, golly, it's like five seconds of, oh my gosh. And then you think, this isn't so bad. Right. It was just unknown. And he says, if you can get through that sense, that flinch that you have that stops you from doing so many things, you'll experience a whole lot of things that don't hurt you, that'll open you up to new opportunities. So I look for those things (laughs) that cause me to flinch. And I'm thinking, wow, what am I missing? Because I haven't yet walked through that feeling, that flinch that I get. So I purposely put myself in situations where I walk into things that are unknown. Now, I don't risk the farm. I don't put everything that I have in that one basket and then hope that it works out. But I have plenty of margin in my life. I have like a 15% allotment in my life at any given time to try things that I've never done before, knowing that I may have about a 50-50 chance of it working or bombing. That's okay. That works for me. I love those things. And so I'm doing things that other people fear, but I'm just doing it as a new method of exploration, as a new adventure. So I reframe those things. It's not fear. It's just like, wow, what would happen if I did that? 
you know, I go there a lot. Yeah. You know, and I wonder too, if there's any help, you know, they always, you know, talk about, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to commit and you're going to go all the way. But I wonder if there's any value in saying, well, okay, I'm not going to commit to jumping in this freezing cold shower and standing in there for 10 minutes, but I will do it for two seconds. And, (laughs) you know, and what ends up happening is if we can, if we can just commit to that, that smaller commitment and I think in the back of our mind, we know what's going to end up happening is, is look, if I can do it for two seconds, I could probably stand it for five seconds and 10 seconds and, and maybe a minute. And, uh, you know, and so if, if we look for those commitments, like for example, running, if you, if you want to get out and, you know, get exercise, you know, maybe not, you don't feel like committing to go out and run out and running, but at least maybe putting your running clothes on and your shoes on and then commit to, I'm just going to go for a walk around the block. And then that just, then you, you make these incremental mental commitments. And I, and I don't know if you have any experience with that or any any wisdom with that or if you see any good or bad to that philosophy, but I, I'd love your take on that. Oh, I do. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't have to, you know, jump in the ocean. You can go for a walk on the beach, just like you're describing. Um, now, I am one to you know, pull the trigger. And I, I'm one of yeah. these guys where my mantra is pretty much, you know, ready, fire, aim. Um <laughs> And that's not for everybody, and I don't you know, prescribe that for everybody, but it, I, I like that. I like jumping into things. I mean, it, when it comes to product development, that's another area. You know, I talk to people who say, oh, man, I'm writing a book. You know, they know I'm an author, and I encourage authors. And I say, geez, that's great. You know, how long have you been working on it? Oh, seven years. I'm like, you got to be wow. kidding me. I don't yeah. care what it is you're working on. Throw it away, start over, and commit to having something done in 180 days that's fresh and new and invigorating. I mean, to just get something out there. But I, I believe in what Eric Rees and the Lean Startup called minimally viable product. Mm, so I don't mm-hmm. wait until things are perfect, whether that's a product development, a book that I'm writing, or uh, some kind of new venture that I'm going to start in business. I just, I start. You can improve it as you go along, especially in the this kind of world that we live in today, where to start a business, as an example, it's probably not going to involve you know, building a building, you know, getting signed permits and hiring employees and buying $100,000 worth of inventory. I mean, we start businesses that are not like that at all. Yeah. So there's really not the kind of risk that we traditionally would associate with that. But just do something. Do something you haven't done before. Get in and it opens the door to having you go the next step. We don't have to even see the whole picture. I mean, by definition, that's what faith is. It's not knowing exactly what the end result is, but you take that next step knowing what it is that you know now. And I do a lot of things in my life that are based on that kind of philosophy. I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to jump in anyway. I'm going to get in the game and just see where this could lead. <laughs> you know, and Dan, that's one message that I really appreciate that you share very often about people who write in and say, well, I'm going to start this business. And they just have these grand ideas of every all these other steps that they need to do first before they can ever, quote unquote, be in business for themselves. And, and I, you know, your advice is commonly, you know, just get out and just start doing it. You, you don't have to, you don't have to necessarily incorporate and, and buy inventory and a truck and, you know, come up with the perfect name. Just, just start going out and doing the thing and, you know, the business will appear. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got a, I've got lots of stories. You know, one, one little business I started, I went to the bookstore and bought a little vinyl covered telephone address book, paid $10 and 53 cents for it. That was my business investment. Then I went to a church and said, 
I'm going to produce a thousand of these to give them to you with your church logo on the front, your information on the first couple pages. What I'd like from you is for you to tell me business people in the church or that you do business with, and I'll go to them and give them opportunity to have a little one inch spaces on the inside and back cover of this to promote what they're doing. I did that. That was my investment. The first project I did took me four days to do it. I produced the 1000, gave them to the church at no cost and put $4,600 in my pocket. I thought, Ooh, this works, but I've constantly come up with things like that. I mean, a business I just started this year, I put a thousand dollars into an account just so we'd have it there for incidentals, you know, business cards, whatever we wanted. We didn't really use that much, but 30 days later, I took that thousand dollars back out and it's a business that will clearly is on track to make me over a couple hundred thousand dollars this year. But we have to get out of this idea that there's, you know, it's big, monumental and risky and probably not going to work and all that kind of stuff. Just get in the game, start doing something. And it opens the door, both in terms of real possibilities and the increased confidence that comes from having little steps of success. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that. And Dan, one final question I'd love to ask. And, you know, I got into this line of work as, uh, you know, really, I, I absolutely love the work that uh, Dave Ramsey did, went through his Financial Peace University many, many, many years ago. And uh, that's what led me on this path to being a better steward and, and really looking at what it is I'm entrusted with. If it's my income, you know, taking a real close look at where that is, where that's going, you know, how am I treating that? And, and I'd love to learn from you, what does stewardship and being a wise steward mean to you? And, you know, maybe some examples of ways that we can do better in this area of our lives from, from your understanding of this concept. Well, we could spend a whole lot of time, Parker. <laughs> wow. That, that's a large question. Hey, if you took financial peace enough years ago, you go back years and years and years, if you go back far enough, I would have taught lesson number 11 in person. Wow. That's how we started out with. Dave doing, let's go to lesson number 11 in the original Financial Peace University was the one on careers. So I wrote the content and presented that for a couple of years while he was getting it off the ground. Anyway, great times and wonderful to see how that's developed. <laughs> I take the issue of stewardship very, very seriously. And I view it in terms of being responsible for both material possessions that I have and talents and abilities that I have. I mean, the last thing I want to do is show up on Judgment Day and uh, to be the guy in the story of the talents who buried his talent mm. and get that reprimand, that harsh reprimand from our master that I didn't use it. But here's how that plays out. That means I think I have a responsibility to use my talents well. And here's a way that may play out. If I have the ability to initiate ideas and generate income, then I think I have the responsibility to continue doing that even if I don't need the money that's generated as a result of that. I become a steward of that talent so that it can flow through me to do other worthy things. I mean, that's just one example. But I, I was raised you know, by a Mennonite pastor, dad, in a very godly home, and we took care of things because we were stewards of that. That meant a bicycle was not left out in the rain because we're stewards of that. We have the opportunity to care for that. And that means we ought to treat it well. So tools were like that. I mean, my dad always took care of tools. And the machinery, good stewards of the animals, the land, everything. 
and I love that heritage. Yeah. Seeing that I am responsible to the same. Here's another kind of maybe a, a relevant example. When we bought the property that we currently live on, and we love where we live, and you hear me talk about the sanctuary. Yeah. It's the property behind ours that we purchased that had an old barn on it. We've converted that into an event center and guest quarters in my office. But we love our property. But when we went to buy property, it was right after 48 Days to the Work You Love had come out and things were going pretty well. And so we went to be pre-qualified before we started looking at places that we wanted to live. Well, and they came back, the mortgage company, you know, okay, you can buy this kind of house. And I said, well, that's fine, you know, but we don't need that. It's just Joanne and me. Our children are already grown. They're like, well, what do you mean? That's, the, that's what you do. You get the maximum that you can. That's the American way. I said, well, I don't care what other people do. We won't be doing that. So we bought a house that was less than half what the mortgage company said we qualified for. Yeah. Because that's what we needed to meet our needs. And it's a wonderful place. It's a homey place. We love where we are. We love having people out to where we are. But that's just an example of stewardship. You know, it's yeah. not just a matter of how much can we stretch. It's a matter of recognizing we have access to resources. We don't just consume as much as we can, but we really are stewards. That means we're helping to care for it, even if the benefit is going to other people around us. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. You know, kind of the wisdom of Forrest Gump. You know, mom, Mama said a man only needs so much, and the rest is just kind of for showing off. But <laughs> absolutely, you know, but there's so much good uh, that you can do uh, if. You know, and that's why, you know, I, I love, you know, the concept of, you know, starting your own business and, and you know, being uh, in more control of the amount of income and the amount of resources that you want to bring into you, because that just gives you more freedoms to pursue the things that you're most passionate about. And and even, Dan, um, you know, one thing we talk about frequently is ways that you can save money, and particularly on consumables. And that's really important because if if I can get more than I need in, in terms of, say, breakfast cereal, you know, that is an easy way for me to make sure that my own cup is full so that I can fill the cups of, of others. And it's, it's a way that's it's very easy and manufacturers and retailers are willing to subsidize. Absolutely. There are so many examples of that. Josh, you probably, if you listen to my podcast, you hear me talk about cars. I love cars. Oh, yeah. And I drive really nice cars. I just enjoy it. And people look at my cars and think, oh my gosh, you know, if I ever I get rich enough to drive a car like Dan Miller does, and I'm thinking, <laughs> they, they totally miss the concept. I drive really nice cars because I happen to enjoy cars. I understand cars. So I buy them right. I've never had a car payment in my life. So I buy with money in hand, which gives you an amazing amount of leverage in buying oh, yeah. from dealers, which is, I buy a lot from dealers. So I buy a car that's really nice, really a lot of fun. And I drive it for about eight or 10 months typically. And then I sell it and get every penny of my money back and usually more. Wow. And so I simply reinvest the money. And I'm thinking, yeah, I drive these really nice cars, but it's not because I've got some $800 a month car payment. I never. And driving these really nice cars cost me less than the dude out here, you know, driving a Ford Focus where he pays $376 a month and he's upside down on the silly thing to start with. 
Yeah, yeah. Dan, thank you. I, I really want to thank you for your time that you've spent with me and my audience. And I'd, and I'd be honored if you would share maybe some of the resources and some of the good that you can bring those listening to us. I mean, how can people find more about find out more about you? And how can they get really enrolled in, in the work that you're doing? Well, thanks for the question. You know, we have 48days.com. That site's easy to find and has lots of resources and my blog, podcast, newsletter, and a lot of other articles there that'll help people on their own path to success. But then I have something that I'm really extremely proud of, and that's our community at 48days.net. I put that together just as a trial. It was one of those things. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but it's been an amazing thing to watch. We have now about 15,000 people there. And these are people who, are, who want to do things differently. You want to put legs in their dreams. And they're so willing to share ideas and resources with others. And so it, we really kind of go on the, on the old adage, a rising tide raises all ships. And we see that in action there. So that's at 48days.net. And then, of course, your podcast. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the kind of things that you share on your podcast and what folks could learn from that. Podcast. Is a Sorry, curi- I, I, I use the podcast word. I know that you, you see this is much more broad than podcasting. Forgive me. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I, I have fun with that because I like to call it uh, on-demand radio or online radio because we're so easily moving, erasing the kind of distinction between old radio and podcasting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, on, on that, I, it's a carryover from my days in radio where I would take questions live. And at this point, people submit questions. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of them. I have the privilege of going through those then once a week and selecting 12 or 14 that I answer live in the air, the kind of things that will hopefully hopefully help all of us go to higher levels of success. But people ask the most amazing questions, things that I could not possibly dream up about their current work situations or uh, things that they are, uh, feel trapped in or opportunities that they're exploring. So we just talk about those things, and I try to share a lot of resources that are, are real help to people in their own journey. So you're never hurting for uh, content and things to talk about. <laughs> oh my gosh, I always feel rushed. You know, it's funny because I have a lot of questions that are submitted via an audio message. I very rarely use those because I can do a synopsis of the question in about a tenth of the time. Sure. Think somebody, And so I, I always feel this rush to get in as much content as I can in the 48 minutes that I do yeah, spending the podcast each week. That's just terrific. Well, well, Dan Miller, thank you so much for spending your time with us in the 90 Days to Abundance program. And of course, uh, you know, I, I encourage my audience to, you know, Dan, I consider you one of my mentors to, you know, participate in the 48days.net community and, and certainly listen to your on-demand online radio program because it, it truly will inspire you. And I've sent a, a number of my friends who have come to me asking for career advice, and I'm happy to help them. But it, it's wonderful to be able to plug in with what you're creating on a regular basis. So I appreciate that. And thank you so much for spending your time with us. Absolutely. Hey, my pleasure. It's an honor to be your guest. I love what you're doing with 90 Days to Abundance. So um, love the connection. We'll, we'll help people together. Sounds great, Dan. Thank you. All right. 
Well, I'd like to thank Dan Miller for appearing on the 90 Days to Abundance program. And if you enjoyed this and if you enjoy my personality at all, then I would uh, humbly invite you to hit the subscribe button, become a subscriber. It's absolutely free. I'm putting out two, three, mostly three podcasts every single week with the number one goal of helping you save and earn more money. I want you to truly live an abundant life. And I promise that my team and I will be hard at work each and every episode to share with you the best deals out there, the best strategies, the best tips for earning more money, for saving more money, and improving your relationship with money. If you'd like to learn more, it's real simple. Just go to savingsangel.com. That's savings with an S, angel, just one angel.com. And you can click on podcast and you see all the other podcasts I've done. But of course, when you go there, I'd really love for you to check out all the free stuff that I'm giving away. Of course, uh, my blogging uh, angels and I are sharing great deals with you almost every single day. Uh, but right now, you can access our coupon database. There's over 5,000 coupons that we have database absolutely free. And also, I am giving away an introduction to Abundance eCourse, where I've got five of the very best videos that we've created from our full eCourse program, 90 Days to Abundance eCourse program, absolutely free. Again, just go to savingsangel.com and you'll see that offer right on the front page of where you can access that. And then, of course, uh, two or three times a week, I'll be sending you an email with all of the best deals, tips, and strategies that we find that can help you earn more money and really, really just live a more abundant life. And with that, make sure to hit subscribe because on Monday, I've got a whole bunch of new tips, deals, and strategies coming your way to help you live more abundantly. With that, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And as always, live abundantly. Come on, baby, let's go.